Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. worshiping with us. Man, we haven't had this many people in the building for three years. It feels so fun. I'm excited. We're so glad for all of you worshiping with us online as well. I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here, and um, it's Easter. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, please, hoop and holler a lot. I preach better when you talk to me. I'm from the old church, um, but it's, it, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day we couldn't make. And this is the answer to all of our hopes and dreams. How many of you know we really need Easter? With everything going on in our world, with everything that we've done. Have you ever seen this much breaking news in your life? Honestly, I, I don't know what's going on. I, when I grew up, if it was like breaking news, you know, and I, this is way back when millennials, be kind. Um, our TVs were a lot bigger and heavier back then. Um, and, but when we heard breaking news, man, everybody run the room. What's going on? Now it's like there's breaking news at every break, right? It's like everything's breaking news. And I, I read recently that there's an algorithm that's on social media. Do you know about this? That intentionally follows your digital footprint and tries to feed you news that you'll get angry with. I read an article. It's called Enrage to Engage. Because if they give you all this negative clickbait, they'll go, look, here's where you normally visit these sites. So they'll bring you stuff. It's not true, but stuff that will just enrage you because they feel the more outrage you get, the more clicks you will give. And one scholar who was writing on that said, um, none of it's about the truth. And it's just about, you know, sacrificing our well-being at the altar of their success. And we're losing our minds. We need the good news of Easter. We need the real news of Easter to, to engage in a Good Friday world. Um, and that's why I love this story in Luke, the way he tells it, um, because he singles out Peter. Now, John, being kind of a self-promoter, he says in his gospel that Peter was the only one that ran to the tomb. John said he ran too. And ironically, in John's gospel, he won. You know, um, that's the power of the pen, man. Uh, but Luke focuses on Peter who ran. And these words have just stuck with me. Why do you look for the living among the dead? I want to end with that. Why are you looking for living things in dead things? Jesus said to a woman at well, if we drink from that well again, we'll be thirsty. But I have water to give to you that you'll never be thirsty again. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe it, but Peter. <laughs> I love that. Leotine Kelly was the first African female bishop in the history of the Methodist Church. I had the privilege to sit under her teaching one time, and she told me, Chip, 
When the Bible has a but or yet or the nevertheless, circle it because something really good's coming after it. They all thought it was an idle tale. But Peter got up and ran. He got up and ran to Easter. Now, you say, well, okay, Chip, but that's Peter. That's like St. Peter, you know, St. Peter's Basilica. Like every pope comes from Peter, you know, papal uh, ascendancy, etc. Um, Peter was a great saint. Not on this Easter, he wasn't. This is caught red-handed, Peter. <laughs> this is Jesus who in the middle of the night, Peter. Couldn't even confess him with one person in a back alley under the veil of darkness. That's that Peter, denying Peter, fleeing Peter. But Peter heard the message of Easter, and he ran to it. People have been running to this day, Christians and, and Christ followers, for centuries. Why? Because we really, really, really need Easter. In fact, we, we wouldn't even call Good Friday good if it wasn't for Easter. Easter is God taking things that, that the devil intended for harm and turning them into good. And we wouldn't have that without Easter. I'll, I'll never forget when the pandemic started uh, back in March of 2020 and, and we were coasting into Easter that year and here we're in a vacant building and all things were going. And my wife had a recurring vision during Holy Week. She kept, as we were leading up to Easter, she said, Chip, I keep having the same vision that God's leaning over the balconies of heaven and he's shouting to us, do you need me now? We, we need Easter, man. We need the hope of Easter. We need the power of Easter. Rick Warren uh, was the pastor of Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in our country. He retired last year. But Rick and his wife Kay went through some, a very, very devastating loss. Their 27-year-old son, Matthew, who had struggled with depression and mental illness for a year, he took his own life. Now, when you're a pastor of a very, very large church and your own grown son commit suicide. Social media is not always kind. Did I say something about outrage? <laughs> and, and Rick said, they asked him a year later, they said, how have you gotten through this? How have you made it? What's kept you going in your pain? And Rick said, the answer's Easter. He wrote this, I, I, you see the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was a day of suffering and pain and agony. Saturday was a day of doubt and confusion and misery, but Easter, that Sunday was a day of hope and joy and victory. And here's the fact of life, Rick said. We will all face these three days over and over and over again in our lifetime. And when we do, we'll find ourselves asking, as I did, three fundamental questions. Number one, on Good Friday, what do I do with my days of pain? Number two, on Holy Saturday, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? But question three on Easter is always, how do I get to the days of joy and Easter? You ask me how I'm getting through, the answer is Easter. The answer is always, always, always Easter. See, Easter says that all evil and suffering has an expiration date. Look at us here today compared to three years ago. Death is time-stamped. Misery and death and suffering do not make it into the kingdom of God where death is no more, where weeping will be no more, where the sun will not scorch us by day nor the moon by night, and the lamb in the center of the throne will be our light and our salvation. 
That's Easter. We can't even believe that apart from Easter. I remember uh, seeing a, a documentary a while back, and there was a woman who had grown up during World War II, and her father uh, had left America to fight in the war, and she said in her town, uh, mothers had done the same thing. They'd given all their children pictures of their dad and put them in kind of kid-friendly frames, and they were to carry those frames with them to school and other places so they wouldn't forget what their dad looked like when he was overseas, and they would have good memories of their dad. And this woman said, nothing was helping me. I was in absolute despair. I was so worried about my dad. And she said, I was a young girl. And she said, I, my mom would try to cheer me up. She'd tell me, hey, here's how your dad proposed to me. And here's a story from our first date. But she said, nothing helped. She said, and Easter Sunday came, and my mom got me a pretty new dress, and, and I used to have fun with that, but I, I went to the kitchen table in my new dress, and I just sat down and started to sob. And I told my mother, I, I hate this war. All I want is for Daddy to step out of this picture frame. And the mother got down on her knees with her daughter and said, that's Easter. And she said, we went to church that day, and the songs of Easter had a new chord in my heart. Now, I don't know if that mother had a degree in theology. I, I, I don't know if she studied something at some point, but boy, did she nail it right to the fact because we celebrate on Easter because over 2,000 years ago, our daddy, King Jesus, Abba the One, got out of the picture frame and he won the only war that could ever hold us hostage to sin and death. That's why at 9 o'clock we sing that great song of the church, love's redeeming work is done, fought the fight, the battle. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. You, see, you do better than that for the Browns. Love's redeeming work is done, fought the fight, the battle. All right, now, people of God, you're starting to get it. Our, our Father, Easter isn't an event, it's a power. Easter's a power. That's why my very first Sunday here, 19 years ago, it's amazing people have put up with me that long, but I, my very first Easter Sunday, I preached on Lazarus, John 11. It made some traditionalists go crazy. That's not the Easter story. I said, well, give me 30 minutes to show you it is. Because I believe the raising of Lazarus is the most important Easter message for all of us. Because when Jesus was raised from the dead, he wasn't showing off. He was sharing power for us to be raised over the things that, that hold us and constrain us. And so the same power that raised Lazarus from the dead is available for you and I. We need this Easter power. It's the power to navigate a Good Friday world. We need, we need this power we need this, this Easter story. See, some people think Christianity is something like we take up, something we decide on. It's a bunch of rules for you to follow, right? Um, but Christianity is not something you take up. Christianity is something that takes you up. We serve a risen Savior. We have a power beyond ourselves. And when you feel something is arguing with you and challenging you and grabbing you by the scruff of your neck, now you start realizing that you're experiencing Easter. That's what happened to Peter on that first Sunday, right? The, you know, uh, I love how Mark tells it. Now, Mark's gospel 
is some people in tradition of the church, Mark was writing with Peter. Mark was a companion of Peter. Luke was a companion of Paul, but Mark was a companion of Peter. And so when we get, when we get Mark's gospel, something little different happens in the resurrection story. And I think it has Peter's name all over it because it said when they went to the tomb, the angel said to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's been raised. He is not here. Look, there's the place they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, why is that there? That's really weird. Because Peter was the head disciple. So why go to all the disciples and Peter? Because Peter's saying, that's the way I heard it. I heard that he was even inviting me. I heard he was inviting broken Peter, caught red-handed in the middle of the night Peter, failed Jesus by a country mile Peter, that he said, go tell the disciples, and yeah, bring Peter. That he is going, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. What would have Peter heard? Galilee was where he heard, first heard from Jesus. That's where he was called to Jesus. He says, my God, he's calling me again. I think I heard the band say, by your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. That's what Peter heard. I'm going to rise through these brokenness, through this ashes, because he's calling me again. And so... I, it always troubles me. I wish Judas could have just held on a little bit longer. You know, Peter, Peter was broken. He wept bitterly. He knew he had blown it. But for whatever reason, he just held on. He was ashamed. We see him out in a boat naked. But if Judas would have just held on, the fact that Peter had such a testimony after he had fallen and got back up and been redeemed by Jesus, can you imagine the testimony Judas would have had? So in this Easter, we need it. We need to hold on to it, even in those dark days. We need to grab hold of it. Let it take hold of us on the Good Fridays of our lives. I know this is going to sound so arrogant, but I'm going to say to each and every one of us, if we don't understand, we don't understand Christianity if we haven't had that same sense that someone is after you grabbing you by the neck, making you think about things you don't really want to think about, helping you see things you've never really seen before. Because we know, brothers and sisters, says Paul in Thessalonians, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power. That's why Peter ran. That's why he ran, right? He, the, the risen Jesus is the one after us. He's loose in the world. That's why when he met Paul on the Damascus Road, what did he say? So he, Paul met Jesus the way we do, not in the flesh, risen. And he heard Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because he's alive, because he's risen. This is, he's not a passive savior. He doesn't go to the cross to deal with evil and just sit back and wait for you and I to figure it out. He's after us. He's pursuing us. He's wooing us. He's making us pace the floor sometimes in the middle of the night, asking questions sometimes we'd prefer not to ask. I love Anne Lamott. She's a great Christian writer, was very popular in the 90s. But Anne Lamott was strung out on drugs. She was uh, really uh, a victim of terrible abuse. And uh, she knew her life was spiraling down. And one day she said, I was extremely high on a Sunday morning, high on drugs. And I walked by this church and I heard the singing and for whatever reason, I walked in. She said, I didn't sing. I, 
I, I didn't participate, but I listened. I opened my heart. And she said, when I left church that day, I, I left quickly so no one would talk to me. She lived on a houseboat, and she was walking real fast down to the docks. And she said, I felt that there was a cat pursuing me. And I looked behind me, and there was no cat. But this cat wouldn't leave me. She said, I, I felt it for the next week or so. Every time I'd go to work or I'd go somewhere, this daggone cat kept following me. And I just knew if I let this cat into my life, into my houseboat, gave it some milk, it was going to stay. And I knew that that cat was Jesus. And she said, one day I went back home and I went up to the door of my houseboat and I felt the presence behind me and I just put my head down. I said, blanket. She didn't say blanket. It wasn't a blanket, not a quilt. Blank it. I'm trying to keep my job. It's Easter Sunday. Come on in. And she said, he did come in. And her life's never been the same. She's been clean since that day. And she's written great testimonies that have helped unchurched people come to Christ. I don't know if you ran in here today. I don't know if you limped into there today. I don't know if you crawled. Don't buy the rumor that just because we're all here on Easter Sunday and I'm wearing a new shirt and we got new things on, that everybody around you has, is just, their life is going so well and yours is not. If you need the help of a Savior, would you raise your hand? You see, look around, see it? And those are only the people that are honest. You see, we know we need a Savior. We know that. Those women that went to the tomb, do you realize they were traumatized? They had seen their Savior Jesus brutally crucified and killed. I know at the amusement parks or the little Jesus parks or whatever, they always put those crosses up. They're like 20 foot high. We got to look like that. Do you know Jesus' feet would have been about three feet off the ground? I'm standing higher than Jesus would have stood on the cross. They were there. His mother would have looked him and stood there looking him in the chest. She would have looked him in the eyes. These women were seeing brutally dying. They saw the puddles of blood falling down. They heard his cries of reeking in pain. They went to the tomb, traumatized. Psychologists said, when you go through trauma, you're going to go through sadness, and after that, you're going to go through anger. They didn't run into Easter service all cleaned up and hopeful. They limped in. They hopped in on one foot. They were broken. But they heard the news. He is not here. He is risen. And something about that power changed their lives. And women who weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law became the first preachers of Easter. I always think I shouldn't be up here. Pastor Terry should be up here. He'd be more biblical on Easter Sunday. Yeah, one, one person agrees. That's so okay. We love you, Terry. I don't know who your fan is down here, man, but Pastor Terry will be in the lobby to sign autographs. Oh, I love my team. And here's another thing Easter power can do for you, friends. It can open blind eyes and close minds. We need this so bad in our world. It said, when, when it said, did you hear what we read? He opened their minds to understand. That was the scripture that we heard. And Easter power can open blind eyes and close minds. And that's why Paul would pray later in Ephesians. He would pray this prayer. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know 
What is the hope to which he was called? See, Paul knew he had limitations. Paul knew he was like me. He's just a human speaker. He's just got human words. But he said the spirit of God, the power of the risen Savior, when he comes in, he'll give you new eyes of your heart. He will take the cataracts off your soul. Because God made us with a pure soul and a pure mind, but, but sin has made that opaque and we can't see as clearly as we need to. Now, if you ever seen people with cataracts, my dad had them, you don't wash them off, you don't wipe them off. You need a special medical procedure. You need someone with skills greater than you. And that's our risen savior. And he comes in and it says he opens their minds to understand. Now, it's really interesting in the Greek there, there's two words for open. The most common one is the word anoigo, which means to open, but it, but it implies there's a doorknob or there's a latch, there's a way to open it. But Luke doesn't use that word. He uses the word dia argo, which means to break through. Luke is saying, we don't have these little minds that can open and shut. We have mountains of rock and stubbornness and self-centeredness, and we need a savior to break through with the power of the gospel. You came in here thinking, well, Chip, I just need a little more information. You don't need more information. You need transformation. You need a savior that's going to break through, break through the hardness of our hearts. And Peter, that's what it says. Peter he got up and he ran to the tomb. And what happened? It said, looking, stooping, and looking down, he saw. God gave him new eyes. Not just light, he gave new eyes. And he was amazed. See, Easter brings that to you. Easter gives us new eyes. And it gives us a sense to see uh, not just the value and the power of the gospel, but to see what value that we have to him. See, there's a difference with understanding something, comprehending it in our minds. Oh, I grew up that way. I was religious. I was raised in the church. I knew that Jesus had died for me. But when my college chaplain got around me and taught me about grace, that I couldn't earn my own salvation, there was nothing I could do to be good enough. But Jesus Christ had fixed that for me. He had won the war. And now I live out, thankfully, I saw it. I didn't just know it in my head. I saw it with my mind and with my heart. God, Easter faith had opened up my life. And I remember in my very first church that I served, there was a woman, it was an inner city church. It was, you know, a low income area, high crime, historically underserved. There was a woman who was a working prostitute when I got there um, to the church. In fact, sometimes she walked that corner. She was addicted to crack cocaine. And I was always invited to come into church. She was always someone around, oh, Reverend Freed, you know I can't do that. Why not? If I can come in, you sure can. God made room for me. Um, I was more hard-headed than you'll ever be. Well, finally she started coming in. And she was what I like to call, some of you in the back row, we call you the one butt cheek people. Like you're in, but you're not totally sitting down. You're ready to go. <laughs> so I tell our, our hospitality team, make sure you open up the back seats because... Some of those folk, man, they're like in a starting block. <laughs> they're Flojo or Jackie Joyner or Kersey, man. I, I'm trying this thing, but I'm not sitting. So she came in like that, and then pretty soon she sat like that, and then she'd move up a couple rows, and her arms were crossed, and they weren't uncrossed. And one day she came to me and asked if she could accept Christ and be baptized. Hey, how many of you know next Sunday is Baptism Sunday? Yeah. Hey, hey. 
So if that little cat is chasing you, you come to talk to us after, okay? We got 15 folks that have come forward and said they, they want to go into the waters of baptism. That's really exciting. And, and there's room for you. There's room for you. And so just talk to Pastor Terry and I while she's doing autographs. Talk to Pastor Terry. And if not, pull us down or just email us, let us know. But she came to me wanting baptism. And I remember baptizing her and she gave her testimony. And she said, you know, I always knew Jesus died for my sins. But now I know he died for me. See, nominal religious people, you say, well, what, what do you know about Jesus? Jesus died for sin. But people who really know Jesus say, Jesus died for me. And the blood that rolled down on Good Friday wasn't just rolling down the ground. It was coming after me. And she knew that. And she said, when I saw how much he did for me, I knew how much he valued me. And I don't have to be afraid anymore. See, Easter power was working in her life. Is it working in yours? Is it, or, or is you feel a sense of chasing out? Here's three signs. I'm going to close with this. Three signs that Easter power is actually breaking through in your life. The first power is that there's newness. You're seeing new things all the time. You could be walking. I've been preaching here for, for you know, 30-some years. Um, I, I don't, well, not here for 30-some years, but in my life for 30-some years. I've been here for 19 years. I don't know, those who put up with me for that long, I don't know how many pastors you've had over that 19 years, but I'm not the same dude that came here in 2004. From morning by morning, new mercies I see. God continues to bring new life and new ideas and new hope and, and new challenges that we went through. But, but his promises, I'll be with you through those challenges even to the end of the age. We're sensing something new all the time. There's an old hymn I love that says, it's by a guy named William Cooper. It says, sometimes a light surprises the Christian as he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. I don't know if you've ever heard of Shane Claiborne. Shane is a kind of a contemporary prophet and uh, a Christian advocate. Um, he studied with a mentor of mine, Dr. Tony Campolo, uh, long after me. He's much younger than me. We actually had Dr. Campolo come here and preach in 2011. And, and Shane studied with Dr. Campolo at Eastern University. And he and some students went over uh, to Calcutta, and they served for three months with Mother Teresa when she was still alive. They served there. And Shane said he was over there, and he met a young woman named Sarah, also from the States. And Sarah seemed a little pensive and a little distant. And one day, Shane said, hey, look, we're all, we all believers in Christ. We're here. Uh, is there anything you want to talk about? And she said, I feel like the biggest hypocrite in the world. And he said, why do you feel that way? She said, well, um, I have a same-sex orientation. I am a lesbian. And I think if Mama T, that's, that's what they called her, Mama T. I guess if you serve with Mother Teresa for three months, you're allowed to call her Mama T. I don't think I would walk in the room and say, Mama T, I say Mother Teresa, you know. But she said, I'm worried if Mother Teresa finds out about me, she's going to run me out of here. Because that's what their religious kind of organization, denomination that she was in did. Shane said, I didn't see Sarah for a month. And he said, a month later, I saw her. I said, hey, did you ever talk to Mama T? Did you ever speak to her? And she said, yeah, I did. I told her my story. He said, what did she say? He said, she bowed her head, and she had her eyes closed for what seemed like 10 minutes. It was probably only a minute or two. Then she opened her eyes to me, and she smiled, and she said, Sarah, would you read our scripture this Sunday at Mass? 
And Shane said, what else did she say? He said, that's all she said. And I thought, my God, if we can bow our heads and look for Jesus and then open our eyes with new eyes to see the value in ourselves and others that Jesus sees, what he gave his life for, what he was raised for. My God, what a different world this would be if we allowed God to give us Easter eyes. You know, I'm telling you, friends, this is true. When Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, he said, you know, you heard him say, don't just love people who love you and are nice to you and talk good about you. He said, pagans do that. Love people who are hard to love. Love those who talk bad about you online. Love even your enemies, because when you do that, then the world will change. And that's what his call is to do, that we would see. See, loving people is not loving them as you would have them to be. It's loving them as God created them to be and seeing them the way God saw them, that he would give his life for them and for me and for you. If we were the only people on the planet, that's Easter. And it brings newness, friends. It brings newness. That's one sign that Easter's working in you. The second one is there's a change in disposition. Whenever I, I had some baptisms with some people, I got to tell you, I hear this a lot. Um, a, I always know it's going to be challenged because Satan doesn't like that very much. But the other thing is I'll have people say, you know, yeah, they, um, I go to work these days and people say, there's something different about you. And I said, well, that's really good. <laughs> that's a good sign that Easter powers work in your life because when you experience this, there is something different about you. The things that used to bother you just don't bother you as much anymore. You, you, you find yourself getting a little more balance in your life. You're not so off kilter. I mean, my kids love to say to me, Dad, you're OCD, OCD, OCD. And I kind of am, but I'm not as bad as I was 19 years ago. I'm still a little type A, but not as bad. Because God begins to change your disposition, right? You just don't know the scriptures in an intellectual way, but it changes your attitude. Well, how do I know? Because these disciples, did you see what I said? Uh, the very the next verses were, they worshiped Jesus and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. These were the same guys that were hiding in locked rooms in Jerusalem. These are the same people where, where Peter couldn't even confess Jesus in Jerusalem. But now they've got a confident humility about them. They have a change in attitude, and they're continually in the temple praising God. So there's a newness. There's a change in disposition. Here's the last one. A sign that Easter power is bringing through your life, you're always growing. You're always growing. It's gradual. There's, there's an unfolding, right? Peter wrote two letters in the, in the scripture. And in 2 Peter, he said, I'm praying for you until the day dawns and light is shining in your hearts. You know what Peter was saying? I'm still figuring it out. That's why he meets Jesus on the road. Because he's going places with him. God is opening their minds, and God is sending power for them. God who has begun a good work in you, the Bible says, will perform it. But it's gradual. It takes some time. I've always said you can be saved all at once, but change takes a little while. And thank God we are his masterwork. We're, we're the work of his hands, and God is patient with us because he values us because he sees the image of God in us. So is this happening to you? newness in your hearts, changing in your disposition, always growing, always learning, always being stretched, that's a sign that the risen Savior has grabbed you by the scruff of your neck, and he's growing you up to be like him. So why do you look for the living among the dead? That was our question we started with. That's what Peter came to find out. I was worried about my reputation. I was worried about my standing. 
I was looking for life in places that could give me none. And why am I looking for the living among the dead? I love this. I'm end with this story. Um, I went to seminary at Princeton, and it's a very historic seminary. And we had alumni that would come back, and they would preach for us at chapel services. And there was a, a Presbyterian pastor named Earl Palmer. He was very well known. He's long since retired, pastored the main Presbyterian church in Washington, D.C. And Earl Palmer got up there, and he said, a lot's changed here at Princeton since I was a student here. And he said that when he was there long before me, I was there in 1990, and he said uh, he lived in California, and there were only three seminary students at Princeton that lived on the West Coast. And he said, back then we would all, whenever there was a break, we would jump in a car and we would drive straight through to the West Coast. We had it down to a science. He said each of us would drive three hours while the other two would sleep in the back seat, and we would kind of rotate in and out like a tag team. And he said, this worked well for us until one year. He said, we were going home for, I think it was Christmas break. And he said, uh, it was three o'clock in the morning and my roommate Andy was driving and we were in Nowheresville, Iowa. I don't know where we were. We were on dark roads. There was no signs of life. And Andy knew he needed to get gas before he passed it off to me. So he's looking around and the only thing he saw was a gas station with lights on on the opposite side of the highway. So Andy said, well, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. The police probably won't see me. And he went up to the next U-turn. He did a U-turn, and he went back to the gas station. He filled up. Then he tapped Earl Palmer on the shoulder and said, hey, buddy, it's your turn. Get up and drive. <laughs> he went in the back seat and fell asleep. And guess what Earl Palmer said I did? I started to drive. He said, I was getting these weird signs. So all of a sudden, I saw a sign that said, uh, for New Jersey, exit to your right. I saw a sign for Boston this way. He said, I thought that was a little weird, but I just kept driving. He drove for three hours until 6 o'clock in the morning. And suddenly he said, I saw this ball of light start to rise. on the horizon and I had learned enough in elementary school that to know the sun rises in the and sets in the and that sucker should have been in my rear view mirror why was it right in front of me he said I woke everybody up and Andy said oh yeah I took a u-turn to the gas station I forgot to tell you and they were figuring out how far they had actually gone and Earl Palmer I wrote this down the message he preached that day he said, I ignored every single sign along the way. But when I saw the sunrise. See, if you guys get this earlier, I won't have to preach so long. <laughs> when I saw the sunrise, I couldn't ignore it. And I knew I was driving in the wrong direction. Why are you searching for the living among the dead? Maybe you've been going in the wrong direction, but I got to tell you, the sun has risen. Maybe you're trying to find life from dead things, but I'm here to tell you, the sun has risen. Maybe you have a good Friday in your soul. Maybe cobwebs in your minds and cracks in your heart, but I came today to tell you that the sun has risen, and we cannot ignore it, and Jesus Christ rose, thank you, my children, with all power in it. See, they're hearing it, and they understand it. Don't have God have to break through the cobwebs 
concrete in your mind to get up on your feet and thank God that he has risen to say, I may not know always where I'm going, but I know who holds tomorrow in front of me. And the sun has risen. And see, look at the very last verse of Luke. I love you guys. Happy Easter. God bless you. I am honored to be one of your pastors. I love you both very, very much. Thank you. Don't give me, whew. I'm sorry, that was the most meaningful thing that happened to me today and that's gonna, that's Easter power I'm taking home with me. How about you? What are you taking home with you? Look at the very last verse of Luke's gospel when I'm done and see I'm sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here until you've been clothed with power from on high. Friends, stay here, not in the building, stay with Easter. Hang in there. So let Easter follow you home. Let his power grab you by the neck and run to him when you see him because he is risen. And he's here for you whether you're going in the right direction or in the wrong. But run toward the light, not the sunlight, but the S-O-N light of the world. He is risen, risen indeed. You've been great. Amen? All right, we're going to pray. Father, um, you said that we can't even come into heaven unless we come as a little child. And so, God, you've spoken to us today in, in visual ways, in ways that have moved my heart. Help us to have that kind of courage to run, <laughs> to run to you, Lord, and to take that Easter message into our hearts and souls. Not just make it a day or an event, but make it a way of life. Come, Holy Spirit, be glorified. Be glorified with the power and the joy of Easter. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say, amen. amen.